Hello, this is David Thompson from the Fraser Valley in British Columbia, Canada, with a message for all those that are hungry and thirsty for reality, for ultimate meaning and destiny. Those that are new, I just want to point you to my website at ultimatemeaning.com, where there is a flipbook written by the gifting of the Spirit of God through me with very original writing and understanding that answers many very hard questions. And there is a lot of the print that is highlighted in red, and those are links to very amazing and profound YouTube videos, which highly verify the reality of what I am sharing here. And this is a message of good news that there is ultimate meaning and ultimate purpose and destiny and fulfillment that you can have in your life that it can ever expand in creativity and go on forever and ever in greater depths of fulfillment and pleasure of love. Where is that found? It is found in the very source of reality and of the reason for which all things exist, which is love, the ultimate perfection and manifestation of love, the very source of love and of all that is, the one true eternal God. In the Old Testament, in the original Hebrew, the first name that is often used, in English it's the word Lord, in the Hebrew original, it's the word Yahweh, which means the ultimate reality, the I am that I am, basically. And Elohim is the second word, which is usually equivalent to the word God in the Old Testament, meaning the Almighty's plural, referring to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And indeed, for God to be Almighty, he must be simultaneously in personage in the three ultimate aspects of existence, which are beyond creation and time and space. As God the Father, it fully expressed into the creation realm in the Son, which is the full expression of God the Father, and in omnipresence is the Holy Spirit filling all dimensions of creation and time and space and beyond with the Father. If God was not in conscious intelligence, in those three ultimate aspects of existence, he wouldn't be Almighty God. Obviously, you have to be able to be conscious of whatever realms you are ruling in. And I want to share with you today how I share these messages. These messages are for those that have come to know the one true eternal God, God the Father, for whom to know is life eternal, as mentioned in John 17. So, that's another reason for you to check out ultimatemeaning.com. If you haven't come to the place of being reconciled to God, the way I share these messages is described in 1 Peter 
It says there, if any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. This is referring to people when they gather together to meet with the one true eternal God through Jesus Christ in their assemblies, whether small or great. Whether it's two people or any other size. We are to all gather together and seek to speak as the Spirit of God leads us and rises up within us. What is beyond ourselves that is coming from the Spirit of God. This is further amplified and understood by Revelations 19.10, which says, Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. When we worship God out of great reverence and humility, in spirit and in truth, out of love for God, we are filled with the spirit that know him, with an overflow of his presence, of his spirit beyond ourselves that can result in very creative utterances that are totally spontaneous. Now, that is the way the early church met together. They came together and there was the full freedom to share under the leading of the Holy Spirit so that one could share. They didn't have to go to the front to ask permission to use the mic. No, if the Spirit of God rises up within someone, they speak it forth, whether it's in the form of a song that they've never before uh, memorized or known, and they just don't know what the song's going to be, but they feel the Spirit of God rising in them. And it comes forth as a beautiful creative song by the Spirit of God or a prophetic word or a testimony or a word of encouragement or exhortation or even a prayer. <coughs> God is in all of it. When we seek to allow God to speak, and I seek to do these messages in that way, and it is greatly lacking in something that God wants to restore to his people in these last days in their assemblies. I've written a book on all of this called God, Headship, and Body Invasion by David James Thompson. You can get it at Amazon.com. It's about 270 plus pages in depth. It covers in depth about tongues, in depth about the seven ones of Ephesians, but many suggestions on how not to limit the fullness of the headship of Christ from inhabiting your local assembly. And what I do to facilitate speaking prophetically as the oracles of God, because it says in Revelations 19.10, that as we worship God, then we will have the spirit of prophecy flow through us, which will testify of the reality of God, of Jesus Christ. So I will seek to speak this way, and one of the things I do to facilitate that is I use two random applications on the internet, internet to get any possibility of a chapter. And I use the first one, get a chapter, and then I use the second one and get another chapter, so that those two chapters bear witness with each other that the casting of the lot is indeed from God. As it says in Proverbs 16.33, the casting of the lot and the whole disposing thereof is of the Lord. When you do it in great reverence before God in earnestness and you're walking in a right relationship of love with God, 
if you're so led to do it, it works. It was used extensively by the church in the pre-Christ scriptures, such as Moses, Joshua, Solomon, King David, etc. Used by the early church to choose the apostle to take the place of Judas. Used by powerful movements of revival like the Moravians, which even chose their women by the casting of Lot. Their women for marriage, that is. And I suppose, you know, there was more detail. I don't know all the details of it. And I'm not suggesting you do that. I want to share with you. Therefore, what I received today by the casting of Lot and also yesterday, because I never had the opportunity to speak the message yesterday. So we will go to those two passages, but I also seek to find a wonderful worship song that will go with these messages. And so I have one today that I've chosen from the playlist on my website at loverealize.com, which is an amazing playlist because all of those are on video there on YouTube, have the words so you can use them on an overhead projector if you can play YouTube videos on your overhead projector in your congregation. And they're really exceptional songs. Uh, you will discover that when you go to loverealize.com and click on the worship songs link on the top menu. I'm just going to now play one of these songs here in a brief moment as soon as I get to it. <laughs>
one, <clears throat> a wonderful psalm that is so fitting for the message today, which will also be what I received yesterday as well as today. Today I received Psalm 119 in the sixth section called Gimel, which is from verse 17 to 24 and Isaiah 57. And indeed, there is a common theme right there in both of those sections and chapter. Both of these chapters have the common theme of God bringing judgment upon the righteous and wicked, but also upon his people because of their covetousness. But also there is the promise of God restoring his people from the ways of their own heart into his ways after his judgments upon them have dealt with the issues in their heart. And that was also the theme yesterday on Wednesday, which I've not preached on. So I want to share those two passages of scripture that I received on Wednesday, December the 21st of 2022. It was Hosea chapter 2 and Romans 6. And I want to begin reading in verse 14 from Hosea chapter 2. Now God is pointing out to Israel their apostasy. And then he says this, after he te basically tells them he's going to bring serious judgment upon them that is going to be very devastating. And then he says this, beginning in verse 14, Therefore, behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak comfortably unto her, and I will give her vineyards from thence. And the valley of Acre, and that word Acre means trouble, the valley of trouble for a door of hope, and she shall sing there as in the days of her youth, and as in the day when she came out of the land of Egypt. And it shall be at that day, saith Yahweh, that thou shalt call me Ishai, which means husband, and shall call me no more Belai, which means my master, or my Lord, I guess. It doesn't necessarily, I don't think it means my, but it means master, Lord. For I will take away the names of Balaam out of her mouth, and they shall no more be remembered by their name. And in that day will I make a covenant for them with the beasts of the field and with the fowls of heaven and with the creeping things of the ground. And I will break the bow and the sword and the battle out of the earth. And I will make them to lie down safely. And I will betroth thee unto me forever. Yea, I will betroth thee unto me in righteousness and in judgment and in loving kindness and in mercies. I will even betroth thee unto me in faithfulness and thou shalt know Yahweh. Wow. Knowing Yahweh is very similar to the verse in John 17 that says, For this is life eternal, that they might know thee the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. Jesus Christ is God, fully God, manifest in the creation realm to us in a limited creature level so that we can communicate with God and God can partake in his creation and experience all of what his creation experiences in relation to love. Now, 
This particular passage we've just read is very fitting with the other passage that I received yesterday, which was Romans chapter 6. So I may be led to read the whole of Romans um, chapter 6, as it is not that long, although I wasn't planning to do that. But I'm just going to start at verse 3 because that's what I have pasted here in front of me <laughs> instead of turning to it. <coughs> Pardon me little bit of the cough I'm getting over. Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin, for he that is dead is freed from sin. Now, if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. And there is another section here that I would like to go on to read, but... Uh, First of all, let me just deal with this section here. This word baptized means basically to be saturated or imbued. That is what it means in the Greek. Saturated in the sense of a dye saturating a garment so that the identity of that garment is changed. So maybe the garment was green and now it's red. Or maybe the garment was red and now it's green representing life, whatever, or black, and now it's green. The identity changes. And this understanding of baptism, so, is an understanding of a state of being that is totally absorbed in what it is experiencing in such a way that the impression upon the soul that is absorbing whatever it is absorbing is changed in a new identity with whatever that soul has absorbed. And so some people will say, oh, this is just positional, showing your position with God. You just can give intellectual assent to it. No, it's far more than that. The word baptism has great meaning in it. Christ said concerning the crucifixion that he was about to face, that I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how I am straightened. I'm not sure what in the ancient English that word straightened would mean, but most likely it means how I am set and determined and not going to allow distraction in my life until I go through this terrible trial, this terrible experience. I have a baptism to be baptized with, and you remember the disciples also <clears throat> said they wanted to be on his right hand on his left side. He said, you don't know what you're talking about. Are you able to go through the baptism that I'm going to go through? A baptism of fiery trial, of great suffering. <coughs> Obviously, when you go through something like that, your whole soul is absorbed in the experience <clears throat> and 
that is the case with many things. If you have a consummate experience sexually, there is the total feeling of being saturated with what you are experiencing. Either you are conformed to someone that is an enemy of God, and therefore you've fallen in that area immorally. So your identity now is changed to that which is contrary to God. In some measure, if you, of course, if you repent, you, your repentance is genuine, you can still receive the mercy of God and be cleansed of your sin and restore from being in such a compromised position. So on the one hand, you can experience great pleasure as a baptism. On the other hand, you can experience great suffering that is emerging your being in an experience that will never leave you the same. Because in suffering, one comes through a process of being sifted from those priorities that are superficial to that which is ultimately real and lasting, either in the direction of conformity to eternal life in union with God or being filled with bitterness and rebellion in the opposite direction. And so we identify what happens when we are truly born again of the Spirit of God is that we experience a baptism into his death in the sense that we are like the prodigal son, recognizing how unworthy we are. We come to our senses. Maybe through trials we are cornered to a place where we come to our senses and we see our undoneness in the light of the holiness of God. And we realize we don't deserve to receive his mercy. We feel very unworthy. And in that state, we cry out from the depths of our being with a sincere and honest heart, recognizing that God is just and righteous to send us to hell, to eternal torment, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And there's a deep turning or circumcision in the heart. Circumcision that breaks the enclosed state of our soul that is our self-awareness, that is our spirit is worshiping. Our soul is enclosing our spirit and our spirit is worshiping our soul. It may be in its own self-righteousness and our own sufficiency. And we see who God is in his love, that it is so integrous, that it is a blazing fire of judgment against all that is contrary to his love, his love always choosing the highest lasting good over any lesser choice, obviously. Any lesser choice as such would have a measure of corruption in, him, in it. But God, his love is perfect. It will not tolerate corruption. It is the opposite of corruption. It is the destroyer of corruption, the antithesis of corruption. And it is the holiness of God that causes us to know how much we need his mercy and that he is so good that he could humble himself more than us, a mere creature, on the cross. Suffer more than us, a mere creature, on the cross so that we could repent and be forgiven of our sins and be reconciled to him. 
And when we call out and say it from the depths of our being, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. What are we experiencing at that moment? Is a point where our soul is like a sponge. It is coming into identity in his death. We are seeing that we deserve that judgment that fell upon Christ. And we are identifying with the judgment that he took, realizing we deserved eternal hell. And so there is a full identification in the baptism in the death of Christ. It is a baptism into his death. And there's a deep cry. This is genuine conversion. This is genuine rebirth, not some mere intellectual ascent. When Christ said, whoever believes with their life into me, that's what it means literally in the original Greek. Out of his innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. What he was saying was whoever believes with their heart into me in the sense that we are fully identified with him in the saturation of an imbuing of our soul to absorb who he is in his love in the perfection of his holiness that requires judgment and that recognizes that we deserved eternal spiritual death of torment forever in hell and yet that it fell upon him and that we can identify in his crucifixion. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. The word of God says, as we receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. And really, when we know what it is to know the greatness of God's love to us in showing his mercy and his forgiveness to us, we are filled with thankfulness and praise and recognize how great it is that we've been restored to him and that we can experience the life of his spirit flowing through us, bearing witness as a down payment we experience the presence of God bearing witness with us that we are the children of God, that we are brought forth anew of his spirit. And so we identify with the resurrection of Christ that is also a great saturation of our being with the love of God, with the life of God that comes out of first that saturation that we experience in his death knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed. The body that is motivated by sin, by the outward temporal baits of this world, which the powers of darkness control, is annulled from being the thing that controls our lives. Now it is not that we are led by our physical psyche and body, but by the Spirit of God, because we've come into this baptism in his death and resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him. Yes, we can know that. We can know that. It doesn't mean, brothers and sisters, that we won't experience temptation again. No, far from it. That is clearly explained here in Romans 6 and is amplified in Romans 7, where it describes the conflict of the flesh and the spirit. 
That's why it's an ongoing process of, as we have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walking in him. And that happens by learning to abide in him with a life of prayer, where we spend time seeking him and abiding in him and praying to him and turning in our heart in appreciation and recognition of who God is. And that song we sung, it said at one point in the song, Lord, I'm trusting in your love. And that is what is the case. When we reciprocate who God is in the ultimate perfection of his love. See, the genuine fear of God is the root of all of this. It is that that births, births a genuine belief in God that is not an idolatrous perception of God. And it is that genuine belief in who Christ is, that he's Yahweh, that he is the I am that I am. That that's who the Father is, the Son is, and the Holy Spirit. God is a spirit, and his spirit is in the Son. His spirit is in the Father. His spirit is in the Holy Spirit, as Yahweh. And it is the belief in his being of love that it is so integrous that it will not tolerate corruption in our life and that we can trust him even if it seems he's against us and we are so tempted to focus on the consequences of his judgment on our own life and on the lives of those around us. But no, our focus should always be on the fact that God is good because he will not tolerate a world that does not experience the consequences of sin, of going against his love. It is through that that we come into a greater and greater knowing of him as we reciprocate his love. You see, faith works by love, by the right perception of love, which is a perception which is that God is ultimately trustworthy because his being is so integrous to judge and that it is so great that he always had that quality in his being to become a perfect and atoning sacrifice for you and me. It is amazing in the book I've written, Afterlife, God, Incredible, Irrefutable, which you can buy on Amazon, Afterlife, Incredible, Irrefutable, that there are accounts of so many genuine Christians that know that they experienced such an intense love when they stood before Jesus Christ beyond anything that could be possibly described in this world. But one of the things they knew is that if they were the only one God created, he would have died for them. They knew it. And that he treated them and loved them like they were the only one that existed in the universe. The love was so intense. Beyond anything that can be put into description in this mere physical third dimension. How can you reject God who loves you that much and say, no, I don't want to receive Jesus Christ when he's prepared to forgive you if you will only turn to him and repent from the depths of your being and genuine truth and say, I make you the Lord and Savior of my life? You're going to hold on to some temporal bait that lures you and manipulates your life to destruction and hell over that? God forbid. My, I can't believe I, it's already over a half hour I've been on preaching and I haven't got even to what I received on the other passages of Scripture. 
You definitely see in Romans 7 the outworking of this conflict. But the answer is the identification here in Romans chapter 6. And that we come to a place of undoneness as is shown in Romans 7 where we say, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? And yes, we will experience many times when we discover the deception in our own lives, even as those that have come to know God. And then there is a greater repentance, a greater conversion, and a greater work of God's grace. That doesn't mean that we take advantage of the mercy of God because the moment we have that attitude, we have put ourselves in great jeopardy for you've lost the fear of God. You've deceived yourself, and there are many examples of people that were once saved and turned away from God. And you can find that in my book, In Godhead, Ship and Body Invasion. I go into that also in depth. But I'm just here to share a brief message today. And I want to touch at least on what I received today, as well as what I've just shared with you from Hosea 2 and Romans 6. Today also by the casting of Lot before God and his providence, I received Psalms 119. And I mentioned this already, so I don't need to repeat it. So I want to just read some of the verses from there and also from Isaiah 57, which highly confirmed by the casting of Lot what I received yesterday. This is way, way, way beyond coincidence. And it repeats itself over and over. It is obvious that these two chapters have been taken by God as a message to the body of Christ for this time. And so I want to share with you some of what is in Psalm 119. Deal bountifully with thy servant, beginning in verse 17, that I may live and keep thy word. Open thou mine eyes, that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. I am a stranger in the earth, brothers and sisters. When we know identity in a relationship that is eternal, that is far greater than this mere limited physical dimension, when we know an identity in the heavenlies, we do feel at times very much so like we are a stranger in this world. Hide not thy commandments from me. My soul breaketh for the longing that it hath unto thy judgments at all times. At all times. Our brother King David, even though he had committed some grave sins, had a heart that longed for God's dealing in his life, even if it hurt, to at least know he was in a place that was filled with God's blessing and approval in his life, and that he had a loving relationship with this creator that is the very source of love and of beauty and of all that is good. Thou hast rebuked the proud that are cursed, which do err from thy commandments. So you see here that one of the roots of those that err from a right relationship with God is pride. That we think we know more, or whatever it is, that deceives our heart to never come to a place of being broken from its pride and become converted as a little child. God is the only one that can melt a hard heart and bring us to a place where we can know a deep love union, 
of fellowship that transcends all the temporal delusions of this life that are so used to manipulate people into many things that destroy their lives. Remove from me reproach and contempt, for I have kept thy testimonies. And he goes on and he emphasizes, princes also sit and speak against me. Oh, do we not have that happening? People in authority nowadays are speaking against the righteous, become corrupt. It's beyond comprehension. I could talk for a long time here, but the message is getting too long almost. In the southern border in the United States, the drug cartels have billions of dollars now through all the people that have crossed. They have so much money that they have powerful armies that are one of the that are a very great threat. They are monitoring every country in the world with their intelligence and armies now and a big threat to the Mexican army itself and to the United States and have been bribing many people in the southern states saying you either take lead and die or I but you can have all this money we'll give it to you and so many princes are speaking because they've been bribed they've fallen prey to bribes and threats on their lives and that's how the elections have been stolen that's one of the factors that's blocking everything. But that's an example. Now I want to go on and I want to share with you uh, the last passage here in Isaiah 57, beginning in verse 13. When thou criest, let thy companies deliver thee, but the wind shall carry them all away. This is God pronouncing judgment on Israel. Vanity shall take them, but he that putteth his trust in me shall possess the land and shall inherit my holy mountain. And shall say, cast ye up, cast ye up, prepare the way, take up the stumbling block out of the way of my people. For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in a high and holy place with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. For I will not contend forever, neither will I be always wroth, for the spirit should fail before me and the souls which I have made. Now this is God in his anger towards Israel in a time of great corruption, where his wrath was poured out on them as well because of their covetousness. So he goes on and says this, For the iniquity of his covetousness was I wroth, and smote him, I hid me, and was wroth, and he went on forwardly in the way of his heart. I have seen his ways, and will heal him. I will lead him also, and restore comforts unto him, and to his mourners. I create the fruit of the lips, peace, peace, to him that is afar off, and to him that is near, saith Yahweh, and I will heal him. But the wicked are like the troubled sea when it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt, there is no peace, saith my God to the wicked. God is near those that have a broken and a contrite heart, that come before him as a little child, except ye be converted and become as little children. Ye shall in no wise enter into the kingdom of God, is what Christ said. So the message God is giving to the body of Christ in this hour is for us to return to the genuine fear of God and to humble ourselves and to turn from our wicked ways 
and come into a strong identity of bab- being ba- identified with the baptism of Christ's death and the baptism of his rec- resurrection. He is calling us to learn to walk in that so that we live a life that is holy and pure. It doesn't mean that God can't bless us with natural things. It means that those things no longer control us because we've died to allowing those be to be the things that are the priority and the center focus of our life. Lying delusions, they that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy, it says in Jonah. So this is the message God is saying to the church today. Remember, you can get my book, God, Headship, and Body Invasion on Amazon and my new book called Afterlife Incredible, Irrefutable, also on Amazon. God bless you all. Thank you for your prayers and your support.